I uh, celebrated my birth birthday last Friday outside uh, with uh, social distancing and everything. Everyone was tested, mm -hmm. and it was not too many people. But I had so much fun. Uh, and still, every time like I have to like cough because I have a dry throat, I'm like, but I'm all fine. Well, I'll tell you something. I hope, I hope you enjoyed that because it's, I, I did. It was so nice. Lovely. It was so nice. Just like hanging out with with friends and everything. Uh, Lisa gave me, um, how do you call these? Like basically, like a thing you put on your head, and it looks like. Um, an axe has been driven through your head, like it's a plastic axe, basically, like a Halloween thing. Because apparently yep. at Halloween, I told her that uh, if I had such a thing, I would open the door for all the all the children ringing the doorbell, like dressed like dressed like um, and or, or dressed like a zombie, and then having that like a, a knife or axe or whatever stuck in my head. So yep. she gave me one for for my birthday, which I loved, and I, I wore it the whole the whole day. Uh, it's just it's just out of reach. I could. Um, I could grab it. Like, could I'll show, grab it later. You, me other you grab it later, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to make the connection though because it's Christmas time. That was a Halloween thing thing. I know it was for your birthday, but the vision I've got in my head, Daniel, is that if you were to get Christmas carolers, you might open the door to people singing <laughs> Christmas carols with that on. <laughs> the thing is, I only say it's carolers, and it, instead it's like um, an artist with a lot of play cards just like telling me that I am perfect. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The that, first that placard makes... say say says uh, say it's careless and then they then he has like um you know one of those um boom boxes that just plays like careless from the Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's that's a love actually reference, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shall we start uh, the show? I think we should. Let's start the show. Hey, welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about the majestic indie developer lifestyle. Join our scintillating hosts, Dave and Daniel, and let's hear about a tiny slice of their thrilling lives. Join us while waiting for review. <laughs> You're making, are we are we recording video? You're making faces at me, trying to get I me to making, laugh. Yes, yes, we're recording video while I'm not, reading the intro. I know, I know. Uh, just because I could. <laughs> We're recording video. This, this system we use is records video, but I've got no idea if anybody would really want to watch us talking rather than just listening to the pod. Sometimes I feel like we could put it on YouTube or something, just like we as could. a secondary channel or something. But then you probably have to wear something. I don't know. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, to, to get I'm enjoying this, but you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. For anybody listening, just to be aware, it is currently not winter where I am because I'm in New Zealand um, and Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere is all different. Uh, it is warm here for comparatively for New Zealand. So currently, I have no top on. Um, however, I do I do have a jacket of sorts around me. Um, so Daniel is, isn't feed into a complete eyeful of my bare chest but um anyway that might be a good reason not to put this one on youtube um i'm not exactly dressed for the occasion ah but, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, another try, another try. Um, yeah, this is it's actually pretty warm here as well. Like today, it hit like ten degrees or something. Um, that's uh, Celsius. Uh, for the people mm -hmm. on the other side of the pond, that's about um, two hundred eighty degrees Kelvin ish. Wow, plus or wow. minus. <laughs> you went. Speaking of SI units, because your your is probably cooking on that mode, uh, you've been playing the new Kerbal Space Program just before this call, right? It is finally so good. It's finally good. Ah, oh. excellent. <laughs> so it still has like a a few tiny bugs, um, but that game came out in February twenty three, I think. Mm -hmm. And with this update, you finally have something to do because it adds like a progression. So you kind of have to unlock all the different parts in the game, like the rocket engine and the, the tanks and the, the cockpits and whatever. And you unlock them with science points. So you have to go to places and then land there and perform science experiments. And, though, and now with, with that also comes a lot of new parts, a lot of new um, gameplay and a lot of just like, just like bug fixes and the game is now in in a in a good early access state so that's awesome oh that's great so, i mean it was like a frustrating uh wait for it to get there but i can mm -hmm. totally 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 relate to and i can totally relate relate to the developers who have been incredibly enthusiastic all the time and then the the player community was always like um Like, where's the thing that you're enthusiastic about? This is, this has bugs because yes. I can very much identify with them because like sometimes you build something and you see the potential and you see that what it's there and your brain kind of cuts out the, the fact that you uh, must not touch this part of the application because otherwise everything crashes. Whereas yeah. your, your users or players, they, they don't know where the hidden pitfalls are. So they they will make it crash. You get used to you do get used to the state that things are in and that you're working yeah. around um, when you've, you're in that mode for sure. It's kind of like I, I kind of want to say it sort of ends up being a bit like um, I don't know. Every mother loves their child, sort of thing as well, right? Or, or every <laughs> every. <laughs> Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like it's a horrible analogy, I guess, but like that whole sort of premise of like you're too close uh, to see anything other than its its potential and its beauty, you know. And anybody yeah. else takes a step back, and that's that's not always the yeah, or it's the other so. way around, where you work on something and you only see the flaws, yes. or you only see the difference between what is there and what yep. might be, and so you're always like down about your creation. That's more like. More like me with telemetry deck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we get a lot of positive feedback, and I'm always like, yeah, but it's kind of shitty because it doesn't have the thing that I envisioned yet. Yes. Because I always can think of 20 more features that I haven't been working on, and so like it's always un un unfulfilled. But yeah, I think KSP that one's more common. That one's more common for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So KSP2, what I, what did I do? I, I started a new a new campaign. I switched it to uh, what's it called exploration mode, which is the mode where you have to actually explore and get science points. And then I went. I actually unlocked enough parts to get to orbit. So it's like three flights or so. And I I actually managed to get to orbit before the game kind of expected me to get to orbit because I have been playing this game for literally years. 
Um, so with with just the barest minimum of minimum of parts, I already got to orbit, but that gave me a slew of science points. I could unlock all kinds. Of, I could I could unlock, unlock wings and a jet engine and um, various like I don't know like floaty things where I could like, try to build a boat maybe. And yeah. then with those very tiny wings, uh, I try to build a small jet plane that will just take the new science parts. And just fly me somewhere where I can use them. And then I was kind of super completely like, deep in the zone, just like trying to <laughs> trying to find the perfect balance for this uh, for this uh, aircraft. Like have the the center of uh, center of lift and the center of like gravity like in the right positions. And mm -hmm. like oh, now it's it steers too sluggishly. Maybe make them put them closer together, but then it's kind of impossible to land. And Yeah, I was just like I, I got I got nerd sniped so hard. <laughs> I just I've got this vision of you loading it up, and you're like, I know this. It's a Kerbal system. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's like from from Jurassic Park two, right? No, it's the first one. It's the first. It's the one. first and one. Like, the original quote is like, I know this. It's a Unix system. Huh. Um, which I thought I was from the second one. Oh. I thought it was the first because because in the first the um the computer guy causes all the gates to open and it moves that really annoying screensaver with him going ah 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 on the screen right right yeah and But, the, and the, the the girl gets rid of it huh it might like maybe my 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 recollection is wrong then I because yeah. I remember it from the book actually and. Mm -hmm. The book that I read, it had lots of like um in, in between the chapters, there were always like sort of chapters of cellular automata with mm -hmm. quotes from the fictional Ian Markham. Okay. And then it also had like screenshots from this like 3D user interface that was the the, the Unix system in question. <laughs> and I thought it, it was the same. 3D, 3D interfaces oh, well. for the future. We will we will never know. I, Literally never. I've made well. Mm, on that note, I've made a reference in our show notes. I'm going to look up and find out who's right, and um, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, write uh, it. If you are watching this on YouTube right now, then write it into the comments, of course. <laughs> I'm not putting this on YouTube. About <laughs> Nobody needs to see me in my dressing gown on YouTube. <laughs> oh. Like it's very, uh -huh. um, it gives off like very much like Ken energy, like Ken energy because Ken has this Ken in, in the Barbie movie has has this like very plushy um, gown as well. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling that, like living my best Ken life. Uh, Fantastic. I'm, definitely, I am Ken off these days, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And you had uh, oh I I saw I, I wanted to say you you have like I never saw seen your coffee machine before you just you, just before we started recording you sent me a picture mm -hmm. um, and I think you wanted me to tell like okay I'm just getting my coffee and then I'm I'm I'm, I'm ready but yeah, do you yeah, have yeah. like a proper Delonghi La Specialista like this is yeah. this is like yeah. a serious machine for serious people for serious coffee yeah so. Um, we've actually literally just bought that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It's it's doing the job. Um, I'm very very pleased with it actually. Um, yeah, uh, what can I say? It's making good coffee, and it can cope with the um. There's a local coffee I get here, 
mm-hmm. that our previous machine just wouldn't work very well with at all. Like it just didn't get the pressure properly for whatever the grind is. Um, oh, I and see. this thing, this thing's just gone. Yep, I can do that. Um, so, yeah, I am fully caffeinated this morning, as you can very probably nice. And it has tell. like an integrated grinder. So I, what I'm seeing, I think, and also yes. then um, one of those uh, tempers. Mm-hmm. For, Tamper, for tamping it's down like the, a, a but it's all gauge. But, yeah, yeah, and it's but it's still very manual. It's still very like um, you have mm-hmm. to. Oh God, what's the what's the name in English? Like you have to move the tray with the little handle yes. and stuff like that. Yes, um, it's not completely automated. If you use the grinder, you've got to move it from the grinding station to the um to to the whatever the word is where the porter filter goes into the mechanism and it pulls the border. I don't know. Like, like this is this the other thing, Daniel. Somebody who really knows their coffee and coffee machines will be like, eh, that machine's all right for a consumer. You know, like it's uh, <laughs> yeah. And it tries to look like um like a proper machine because it's all yeah, made yeah, of yeah. steel and stuff, but in reality yeah. But it, it does it does the job for us pretty well. And uh it's making a good coffee right now, so I'm I'm quite happy with it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, one of the only, uh, vices and things that I have these days, Daniel, cause I can't mm-hmm. really drink. And so alcohol, I mean, um, so coffee, good coffee is, yeah, definitely a, a must. Fantastic. Um, but, uh, it's just as well, actually, cause I've, I've had this week off work from my, my day job. Um, and it's well, as we record it's the week before christmas time and i think by the time this goes out it could even be the new year because we've still got an episode ahead of this to put out this week um that's good we should always record in advance so then you know we can keep a, a bit of a schedule but uh week before christmas i am all sorted for christmas presents and that and the other uh, so i've got nothing to do but please myself at the moment and this is where the coffee links in because i have been getting caffeinated and working on light beam app stuff on my the stuff we talk about on this show my my apps and everything um so that's what i've been up to the last couple of days um and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've basically been working my side projects as a, a full-time thing for, for oh, at least that's nice. best part of yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about this quite deliberately on the show, to be honest. I am landing this on purpose onto oh, this the point. perfect right? segue. <laughs> yeah, almost, almost. Crowbar in. Um, so... A couple of weeks back, Daniel, and you know this, but nobody on the pod knows this, but you helped me avoid having any excuses. And that looked like this. I have an idea for a new app. I think we've spoken about it briefly on the, at some point on the show before, probably, um, in that um, what I'm pulling together is an idea of GoVJ Pro, so like an iPad Mac OS version of, of my video mixing app that is a level above what uh, what I've got in the store already. Uh, but rather than spend the next year building it and then hoping people love it, uh, I decided I was going to put up a landing page, test the theory, 
see if I can get anybody to sign up for a mailing list effectively, kind of road test the idea. So a couple of weeks back we spoke and I'm like, yeah, but web design sucks. I hate it. Uh, it doesn't suck. I'm just not experienced enough in I mean, web it, design. It kind of does yeah. suck. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't suck anywhere near as hard as I whinge about it, I think is what I'm trying to say, Daniel. You, mm-hmm. you swoops in and saved me from myself and set up a, a template with, um, I want to say, 11 to. I think it is an yeah. NPM templating system. Um, it's it's eleven T plus Tailwind. Yes, and uh, you very kindly stood that up in a Git repo uh, for me. Which, I mean, we could link that on the show notes if anybody's interested. I think it's a public GitHub repo, right? Sure, that it's all in. Yeah, but like there's um, there's like um, there's better ones. Um, <laughs> This is kind of clobbered together from the 11T starting project and then modified and stuff like that. And then I kind of pulled mm-hmm. in like a few, like a few various other things in from like other, like some of my projects, a bit of like demo code from Tailwind. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, in principle, you, you got that set up for me. And um, I then went, oh, shit. Okay. I can install that, um, get that running. And it just needs me to spend a bit of time. Like, no excuses. There it is. Uh, anyway, the last couple of days, that's what I've been up to. So I've got a, a um, hero image of the app. I've cobbled it together in um, SwiftUI over the last week. Uh, just actually getting a sort of mock-up of, of, of what I think the app is going to look like. and um, Which is cool, and I can turn that into a real prototype. Um, in fairly short order, but um, so I've got my hero image. I've been sorting all the colors out, all the text out, the rest of it's on the template site that you pulled together for me. And I'm probably today. I think it will only take me a little bit of time after this call to sort of start getting that ship shape in terms of actually putting it up and into the world. So, yeah, thank you for that. I've got a landing <laughs> page. Um, I've also figured out I've got a, 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 like the next thing after a landing page is I need somewhere for people to sign up. Uh, so that means a mailing list system of some sort. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of time yesterday standing that up for a smile. So, yeah, because um, I, I, I used to use MailChimp. I don't want to use mm-hmm. a service that's going to charge me lots and lots and lots of money when I'm probably only going to get a few hundred people at best sign up for the thing. Um, so I've gone in on a self-hosted system, which is running on Docker on my own hosting, mm-hmm. uh, with a service called Postmark to send the emails to people. Uh, so... That's, are you actually sending any emails right now? I mean, you're just like collecting the, the addresses, I'm right? For people who are interested. And, and yeah, exactly. So, again, I, I can pick and choose right. later because I'm self hosting this, this sign up. If I suddenly get, you know, I don't know, 10,000 people out of nowhere signed up and it was going to cost me extortionate amounts on whatever servers, I could shop around before actually sending emails out on my right. box in. The thing is, the thing is, I'm not really um, I've, like for um, I'm not really afraid that you will have to pay incredibly amounts, incredibly large amounts no, of money, like, no. um, because even if you get ten thousand subscribers, and may I hope you get ten thousand subscribers, <laughs> um, 
like it's not going to cost a lot of money to send 10,000 emails. The thing is though that sending ten, like 10,000 sending sending emails generally from anything you self host is always going to be a horrible amount of work. So once yes. it's time to really send out those emails, you might actually decide to export your email list and then use any other email service. Like there's a few around. None. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no. But this is the thing that's that, that's probably I've not explained it so well though, Daniel. I'm self-posting the sign up, but the sign up can talk to any service I want to to send the emails. So I don't need to export anything anywhere. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Because like don't uh, send don't like these days, 2023, do not do not send emails from your own server. It just doesn't work because there's too many layers of tr- of spam yeah. protection out there, which yep. is all fair and good, but it means that you have to be one of like three companies to actually send email. Yep, yep, exactly. So, and I've I've been there before. A couple of years back, I was trying to self-host my email just to see what happened, and exactly that happened is that I couldn't send emails anywhere after a certain point because um, Google or Apple servers, for example, would say. Who the hell are you? We're not dealing with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is, again, this is this is also a good side of self-hosting, though, is that the sign-up system is decoupled from the sending system. So I, I get to choose. Uh, at the moment, I've got it configured with Postmark because mm-hmm. they seem reasonable and they work well with the, the uh, sign-up listing service that I've got installed. Uh, so, and I've given it a bit of a test. Seems to do what I need it to do. I think their free tier will probably be enough for me right now. And then, you know, if I have to pay them, it'll be a nice problem to have because I'll have enough people worth paying them to send to. So, yeah. is 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 that thing live yeah. somewhere? Can I try it out? Not yet. Not yet. It okay. will be by the time the show goes out, though. So it should be something like uh, lightbeamaps.com/govjpro. Uh, right. And I'll link that. In, I'll link that in the show notes. That will be where I put it, or I'll put a redirect there if I choose. Because that's else. what it's for, right? For yeah. GoVJ Pro, which is the yes. like the pro version of GoVJ. Yes. So, yeah, and it's a simple landing page, right? It's a hero image, brief description of features. Uh, be the first to find out um, when it's available next year. Uh, sign up your email here. Boom, done. Um, and that should be enough to let me post it on Facebook groups, Reddit groups, and all the other places that mm-hmm. potential customers are likely to be. Uh, oh, I, I love that. I love yeah. the idea. We talked about this earlier. And I also love what you've done with the with the template that I gave you because mine was all like white background and everything. And mm-hmm. you, you posted a screenshot or a screenshot video the other day. Yes. And it was all like yeah. dark background. It looked very like – um, all, like very purpley, like it looked like the laser filter in um Apple FaceTime, like when you raise like two <laughs> two hands. I don't know if that works in our. Uh, it does work in our <laughs> in our video chat here, but like yes. it just looks awesome. Oh, thank you, and and yeah, well, I'll link it in the show notes, and people can go and have a look. By the time this is out, it will be online. I'm committing to that. Um. Again, this is the thing, though, Daniel. I keep saying, oh, I'm going to do a landing page. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then it it flounders because I would much rather be building the app. Right? Yeah, I get that. So, <laughs> um, But I'm committed to this. It's nearly ready. It's nearly out the door. Um, 
And actually the commitment I then got to myself is that I'm not going to build it, not until I've had a bit of the detraction, a bit of people actually indicating interest. Mm-hmm. So in my remaining time of this, this break, if you like, rather than piling straight into building the thing, I'm going to actually chill. Uh, and when I'm not actually chilling, I will be adding nodes to my node-based video pipeline because that um, that's going to drive this app and probably several other apps. So it's it's time well spent in the meantime, if you like. Yeah, that's smart. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I love it. I love it, and I I mean I get it because I'm I'm kind of the same. I'm I'm finding it also very hard to not work on stuff it turns out <laughs> like, <laughs> so um my plan for the rest of the year and the beginning for next year was trying to move more into sales and away from programming yeah whenever i say sales i mean <laughs> whenever i say sales i always want to be like oh, arr, let's hoist the sales mighties but not, <laughs> not those kind of sales but like selling software um and it's so hard because every time, every time I send one of those emails or interact with a potential customers uh, uh, or, or stuff like that, I'm always like, "Oh, this was this was hard, but it was nice." Now I should, yeah. now I should, I should probably relax by just spending like I don't know, fifteen to twenty hours on the code. But then I will write another email, and <laughs> it's so hard. And it, it's working. It's working okay. I'm forcing myself to spend at least half the day on hoisting the sails. Uh, but um, I'm still, uh, I don't know, like the other half of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm actually still finding myself in the code. But uh, I'm now working more on features that will unlock additional customers. As in before... I was mostly focusing on focusing on features that are cool mm-hmm. or features that will improve the quality of life for existing customers or um, features that will just increase the vis- visibility of telemetry deck, which are all incredibly important and they're they're not like totally gone by the wayside but um I feel like I feel like um at least for for um, the next month or so. I want to be able to, I want to, I want to finish the um, React Native integration so that I can then go to my list of 10-ish uh, potential customers that I already wrote down. I, I had conversations with them and I can email them and say, hey, uh, you are using React Native and we now have a React Native SDK, so let's talk more. Um, cool. I'm, yeah. Like I also, we're also like releasing a, um, I can now, I can officially announce that we're also releasing a Flutter SDK, but I'm not going to write that myself. Instead, um, I actually outsourced it to our friend Constantine. Ah. Um, and yeah, the code that I'm actually currently writing is, um, huh, it is, um, performance because the bigger customers are still actually having to wait a bit too long for their um for their query like calculations to show up, and the mm-hmm. other thing is a huge rework because we need a roles management system because our customers ah. are getting big enough that not everyone should have have read and or write access to everything and every single app in their organization, and the mm-hmm. thing is though that this is of course. 
Um, so, like, bef- in the like in the current status quo on the like production server, a user belongs to an organization. So one organization, so a user always has one organization, and a organization has multiple users, and that's it. And then, what I need to do is a organization has multiple roles. And then a user belongs to a role. But if mm-hmm. I'm already ripping this up, and this is basically touching every single API endpoint and everything, um, and then also there's like permissions that connect to apps or whatever. Uh, and I'm, yep. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if I'm touching this anyway, I'm also gonna um, include multi-organization support, which is something that kind of comes comes naturally here. Like if we have the roles, in, uh, like then, like users can just belong to multiple roles and the multiple roles can belong to different organizations. So this way we can, yes. um, like I can be administrator of telemetry deck organization and then also read read uh, or read only member of um let's say lightbeam apps and yep. so i can like look at your data but not like mess mess anything up and that's cool <laughs> so, that's really so it's cool like, it is really cool i made a lot of charts um um i can actually put one of those charts in the show notes um uh, just how how stuff should should look then the next thing i did actually is I knew that this would touch most of the most of the code, just like most of the API code um, is has some some sort of uh, read or write access to to data, and so I would have at least to like at least, at least touch a little bit of of that data all the time or of like of the code, and yeah. um, so. Um, I th- I thought about like how do I want to do this, and I decided the first thing I need to do is write an incredible, incredibly large amount of tests. Um, because if like I I won't be able to test every like all the all the API functions my by hand, so mm-hmm. instead what I want to do is um I just want to be I just want to like know where stuff breaks. And so um, I was actually sick two weeks ago, and yep. um, I I didn't like. And so, <laughs> and so one day I was um, I was like my mind was already like very active again, but I was like still tired. So I sat in bed with my laptop, and <laughs> just wrote wrote like one like API endpoint test after another, and. Um, I have this copilot plugin for Xcode and especially with the test, like one, like if you have, like if you write one test for the, I don't know, like read endpoint and then it will kind of more or less automatically create the ones for the create and update and delete endpoints. And of course you have to double check them and whatever, but it's still very helpful so that you're mm-hmm. like writing less. Um, and so I have like, now I have test coverage for um, the, I don't know, the 50 most used um, endpoints for the API, uh, which is basically everything. Um, I know which one, which ones the 50 most used are because telemetry deck, of course. Um, and so now I started like updating the database. And then of course, because this is all Swift Vapor, nothing works anymore because the models have changed. So nothing compiles anymore because the models are different now. And this also oh, means yeah. that I have to touch old API endpoints that I, I'd rather just not touch. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe the the iOS app is maybe using an old API endpoint, so I can't really delete it or anything. 
So I did write a oh. lot of um, helper helper functions that that allow me to write uh, all rights management, like checking for does this user have the right to access this kind of app? Does this user have the right to access this organization? Does the user have the right to write to that data point or whatever? Um, I kind of like extracted all of that out so I, I wouldn't have to write it multiple times because it turns out that um, that logic was repeated ac- across uh, like data uh, API endpoints of a few times. And um, yeah. And then That's, after um, a while, I made it sorry. compile. Sorry, Daniel, just to interrupt your flow yeah. there, but with with the was there any option for you to like version the API so you didn't need to migrate old endpoints in any way? Yeah, maybe I should have versioned my API different. My API is versioned. We're now on <laughs> API version three. But the thing is, um like the versioning doesn't go down to the database level because it's kind of like yeah. at the database level, you have your models and they look a certain way, right? And so yeah. um, because you have your models and they look a certain way, then you have like um, classes in Swift Vapor that also like look like the database models more or less. And if you mm-hmm. change those classes, then even API v1 won't compile anymore because it says like, yes. oh, this... Like um, this line says user dot organization, but user does not have an organization property anymore. I won't compile, mm-hmm. yeah. and so I kind of had, even though um, I kind of had to, like a usual, a typical end API endpoint kind of looks like at the at the top of the of of the function, it will usually check does the user who is requesting this um, have the rights to do whatever it's they're about to do, and then. Then it's like a database call, and then it's like convert that the, the, the whatever the database gave back into a specific format, and then return that. Mm-hmm. And so for even for v1 and v2 API, which I'm not really using anymore, I kind of had to touch the topmost part of those functions, um, yep. which 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 deal with like can this user do this? And sometimes like I'm just updating the database query in a way that will that will still give me the the data that I need. Um, also, for the very old functions, those didn't use async await yet because I wrote those before async await arrived in Swift Vapor. And so that, that still, was still using um, a Swift NIO callback style code. Uh, is it like, <laughs> but, is that promises and futures? And that it is promises stuff, and or? futures and also like lots yeah. of um, callback functions. So you have like a, the kind of the pyramid of death. Mm. But. It turns out it was very refreshing to actually refactor those to async await code, <laughs> and it was actually like pretty done pretty well. Like there were one or few times where I was just like wrapping stuff because all the um, like Vapor gives you a lot of like um, comfort functions that will kind of convert from the old style to the new style. And so at, at one or two times I was like, okay, this is too complicated. If I touch this, I will have to like rewrite everything. So I'm gonna have to strap this into a wrapper and uh, like. Switch ever switch to async await around uh, around this, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and that's where I am. It compiles again, and about half of my tests um, are green. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Do, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. so um, there's still a long way to go because uh, I need to write more tests that um, that make sure that. The, the new rights management actually is in effect everywhere. 
Um, I don't know how to do that yet. I mean, I could just, just do it manually and with Copilot, I think. So that's the mm -hmm. one one option. And the other is like abstracted somehow because it's always the same thing. Like, hey, um, just pretend I'm, I belong to this organization and just I, even if I don't or just pretend I have right access to this uh, item even though, even though I don't. And then apply that yeah. to organizations and apps and insights and groups or dashboards or whatever. Or I could just like write those those few lines um, fifty times, and I'm kind of suspecting that it is less time to just write it fifty times. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I'm I'm still um, thinking about it. Hmm. I I would say that's a candidate on my in my vision of your the stack that you've got. And this might not gel very well, so correct me if I'm wrong. But like. Could you have something where you stand up a version of the backend that you're talking to in one form or another, like a mocked backend of sorts, where it's got it's got that data in there, right? You've got the, um, you know, you've got your, your dummy organization and user and, and some roles and stuff already written and set, and then you're actually using that as an integration test. Um, in a sense as well, right? Or a, um, yeah, I guess it, uh, that is what I'm describing. You'd have that in the back end of sorts. You'd have a, a back end that's probably running locally to talk to and instead um, of, of being anything remote. So it's self contained. Uh, and then you test those cases based against that test data. Right. So rather than mm -hmm. testing that the, the call is responding, appropriately you're, you're testing that you know given this data is over here and i try and do this action can i can't i and you're asserting that all together so it's like a test harness i guess right would that be a thing would that make sense or is um, there a better way it does it does make sense so what i'm doing right now is i'm using um i'm using just the, the integrated tools that vapor gives like uh, gives you like they have basically various extensions to xc test case that mm -hmm. will allow you to spin the server up locally um then have like a setup function that will populate the um the database and the database is automatically separate from the from the whatever is your development database it's like a test yes. database basically um and then it will also um, just like populate that, like pr like put the database into exactly the state that you like ask it to be in, and then yep. then like call via HTTP call a specific API endpoint, and then like compare the output with yep. whatever you're expecting, and also like check if the database like uh, like have a second database um, call basically where like okay does the database look the way that I want it to look, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that's is that is what what I'm already doing. Okay. Um, yeah. There's a second way which oh, I'm, for, I'm I'm trying to remember the name of the technology. I think it's called is it Puppeteer? Like basically, uh, Chrome based Chrome based browsers allow you to record a um a set of actions and even like they have a, a javascript based language that will then like that will they will translate it to so i could there's like you could you can completely um script a chrome based browser to say like okay navigate yep. to this page then find the link that says da -da 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 -da, click it and then so on and so yep. another option would be to create such a 
such an automation and then just have like a, a complete um, staging environment set up and then run the the run the the automations on there and then see okay yeah. does the, the registrations go through or whatever i haven't so done that so far then, so that would take up the position of like almost a, a ui test performing right. integration and that would be a full integration like. test i think yeah and all, because yeah. it would test the ui and the api and the database and everything the thing is just mm-hmm. like it's it's very it feels very very brittle like because well, as soon as be, you change yeah. your your ui everything just breaks like of course, yep. like if you just visually change it, but then like I don't know, buttons still have the same identifiers or whatever, that's fine. But mm-hmm. uh, as soon as you like, I don't know, imagine the registration give, give has a, has a, another question in there that needs to be answered or whatever, then you always have to update your um, your scripts, which yes. is fine. But I th- I don't think it's the right time for that right now. I think like just in the where I am in the development stage is like automated tests for uh, all api endpoints is is the right is the right um it's enough. level of um yeah. like safety versus um development speed yep no that makes but, sense that makes perfect yeah. sense i'm at this, the phase with everything i'm doing at the moment where no tests is the oh, yeah, i've been i've been i've been in that yeah. phase for a for a while as well especially for the ui um so the web front end used to have no tests now it does actually has a lot of does has a lot of tests for like ui components as well mm-hmm. um but still like the, the the like test coverage is still abysmal for the api it always had um, a significant number of tests for the most important API endpoints, and also especially for um, like units internally. So, like um, uh, especially a query execution, query compilation. Like uh, because we have our own query language, but the query language is based on Apache Druid query language. So we need to compile yep. it because we have uh, comfort features that need to be compiled down into like basic Apache Druid. Um, and also like various verification stuff where where it's like, hey, uh, we need to basically make sure that people also can not write weird queries that um, access data that they're not supposed to access. Yes. Um, so yeah. So after like once my all my tests will have passed, then <laughs> then I need to also update the UI to actually um, allow customers or to to like you have like switch organizations and also like um manage those those rights that they have right so yeah mm-hmm. that's also something that that I really need to do but uh, I think this is going to be a longer project that all just needs to be I I kind of have it planned that way where it's very like I'm trying to be very structured and have like the work split up in very small and tiny tasks Mm-hmm. Um, because I expect to, to do this on the side for the next few weeks, just like in, in fits and bursts. And it, it's, of course, yes. it's way more fun to work on this, like on huge chunks, chunks of time that go really deep. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, that's the right way of working on it right now. But at, at the same time, it will be finished at one day and then I can also, uh, like call up various like medium sized or enterprise sized customers and be like, Hey, now you can do the thing that you couldn't do before and that's really cool and we should really talk so hoist the sails um yeah other than i did another thing i did another thing too i (laughs) 
<laughs> I found during that refactor, very early actually, while still writing the tests, I discovered a bug in telemetry decks query caching algorithm. Um, and it wasn't, huh, it's, it's, it's kind of, is this, it's kind of, okay. So what, uh, I do in the API is when you, when you give me a query, um, and at that level where I'm talking about, like all the queries are always in the telemetry deck query language, even if, if it's like created through a UI or, or something, um, mm -hmm. then I will calculate the hash of that query. And then look in my and then use that as a as a cache key. And so if that is cached, I will actually just retrieve the cache if it's very new, or I will just calculate the query and then store it in the cache. Mm -hmm. um, and I had various implementation of generating that hash for the um, for the query. Like at, the, at first, I converted everything to JSON and then just as treated that as a string and then just calculated the hash for that string using the Swift uh, hash value function. Um, yes. And then Swift came out with a hasher or like with the hashable protocol. Um, mm -hmm. And so I can just like say like, okay, this, this uh, struct is now hashable and it will give me various, um, will give me a, a, a function that's called er hasher, I think. Hash where, and then it's got it in, in and announce. Right, exactly. Like it, it will give you, it will give you like a hasher object and then you, you need to mm -hmm. append to that object everything that's relevant, like all the different yep. pro properties and then return that, the same object. Which is great because you can choose to exclude or include things from right. the hash, right? So I switched to that and that's kind of how it's been. And um, it the the hash value that it will give you is an integer between a minus large number and a plus large number. Where well, and that's mm -hmm. like used as a um, as a hashing key, but also just like to manage the queue during um, query execution stuff like that because we have like a queuing system. Um, and it turns out that the Swift cache uh, the Swift hashing system that I just just described to you is uh, specifically made to be stable only during execution. So if I if I like finish my my mm -hmm. execution, then start spin up a new um, instance of the executable, then all hash values will be different. Wow. If I have five <laughs> different five different API workers spun up in like separate um, containers, all yep. their hash values will be different. So they will, they, even though they share the same hashing server, even though they same the, share the same queuing server, uh -huh. there, um, they will just like work on their own. And they will like recalculate stuff five times because they won't realize wow. that they haven't yep. calculated this query before. Okay. And I stumbled on this by accident, kind of while writing those tests. And it's not a bug, it's a feature that has uh -huh always been in the swift documentation and that kind of has been um turned on around the time of swift 5.6 or 5.7 yeah um, i can imagine there's a security benefit it is to some yeah. degree yeah so how do you resolve this though daniel right I, i've gone straight into engineer mode i'm thinking right okay what's the fix this is an issue what's the fix um yeah. can you can you give it a parameter or something when it runs the application that gives you like a seed value to pin it? 
Um, there is a environmental variable that 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 some people says uh, say will disable this behavior, but yeah. um, it's not really documented. And the documentation that I did find was unclear and warned against using it. Okay, so your next step is going to be to. I guess you're going to have to use some other mechanism, right? You can't use this to do what you're trying to achieve. So my next idea was, hey, I can just implement, uh, like, I I have, uh, I am in Swift. I'm I'm on an Apple platform, so I have access to CryptoKit, and I can just use their native hashing function, like SHA-256, and implement that. Turns out, uh, I can do that on a Mac, but on, (laughs) on Linux. But turns out, turns out that Apple has actually um, re- um, um, it's, it's like out for a while now. They have released an open source version of CryptoKit that okay. I can include as a um, Swift package, and yep. I can import it. And it has actually a pass through. So if it detects that it's running on an act on a Mac or an iPhone uh, mm-hmm. or anything else that has CryptoKit natively available, it will just like bypass everything and just like. Like go to the native functions, but if it's on Linux, yeah. then it will actually run on the included functions, which made me a bit uneasy. So I wrote a, a lot of tests around that functionality and made sure to run them on uh, on various Linux, um, in, like uh, like on the build server and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this thing works now. Uh, yeah. I've stable, I've stable hash values. Um, in addition, they are now because I'm, I'm returning them now as a string, which uh, as a hex string, so they're a bit shorter and yeah. less collision because I have can I can actually include a larger um, range of um, of values. And That's cool. I have reduced the average uh, query calculation time from 0.4 seconds to 0.2 seconds, and the maximum query calculation time from 35 seconds to 17 seconds. This is amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that was like basically free. Just wondering something out loud, Daniel, because these two concepts are now combined in my head after the duration of this mm-hmm. call, right? So you've, you've been looking at roles and now you're talking about caching queries. Um, how does the role stuff interact with that query cache? Right. So, for example, I, I have um, I make make this this query. Um, you know, I am user. Uh, ad, I'm an admin user, and then ten minutes later, somebody has taken that right away from me, and I shouldn't be able to see that anymore. What happens at that point? Is there an um, issue there that that could yeah. happen? We cache queries after compilation, um, mm-hmm. so compilation always runs. And what compilation does is like one one it it compiles down the like specific telemetry deck um, functions and like comfort like syntactic sugar into this regular druid stuff. But what it also yes. does is it modifies your filters in a way that it will generate a a. Uh, filter on top of all the filter that you filters that you def, um, defined manually that mm-hmm. will always include all the apps that that you have read access to and right. like wraps that around the the filters and that's that's one of the things that makes this query language more like safer than like SQL which is very much parsable because it yep. is um, this language is very much um, like 
it's it's you can like convert it to JSON, but it's uh, in in telemetry deck. It's also actually I wrote a huge amount of structs and struct definitions that mm-hmm. map to that, and I have like a, a large amount of tests that um, that has the test conversion to and from those those data sets, and um, so here I can very safely say that okay, if I, if I take this filter object. And then I just wrap around like um, a, a a filter on top of that. Even if like it doubles the filter, that like the the server won't care. Yep. Uh, but I can al- always guarantee that the outermost filter is the one that says, "Hey, this is for apps A, B, C, D, and E." Mm-hmm. And so because that isn't cached, um, the comp- compilation will always be. Um, uh, and then like the compiled query will be cached. So if the same person with the same yep. Uh, permissions runs the same query again, then it will like result in the same compiled query. That's that cool. also touches pre-compilation, which is if a query actually takes longer than two seconds to execute, what I will do mm-hmm. is I will also chuck it on a list of queries to be pre-compiled, which is whenever the server is a bit idle, it will just mm-hmm. like take one of those, uh, the one that hasn't been compiled for a while, but uh, and, and then just like rerun it through the server. So when uh, so whenever you open your UI, you have still you see still see outdated data, but it's less outdated, and it's, it's nice to look yeah. at while you, like the newest version of this is calculated. That's really neat. That's really really neat. Uh, I love all of that, Daniel. And and you know, sorry if that was a bit of a security one hundred and one there with the caching. Um, I just uh, yeah. Thinking, thinking out loud in the moment. Oh yeah, of but, course, um, of course. Like, like oh, I yeah. Pr- probe everything about it. Yes, um, but no, this is cool. We've probably gone a bit down into the weeds with the uh, with with some of the database end of this stuff, but it's really good to get down there and uh, and just hear a bit more about how it's structured. Um, I know you've, you've put a lot of thought into all of this, and continue to put a lot of thought into all of it. As it well, is just so much fun, so, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I look forward to a future where I'm talking about adding tests to my video pipeline because it's actually given me a, su- a successful product. I think at the moment that's the stage I'm at is like mm-hmm. building all this stuff. But uh, and I have customers, right? You know, I have people subscribe to to the original app to to the basic code VJ and um. It's just it's not big enough to justify me spending, you know, a lot of time getting all all of the test structure laid out and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I kind of know what I want to do when I get there, you know. Like I, I want to have some um, some test images and I want to have it kick off filtering them and various different pipelines and then asserting that the output still matches what it was on the last save test. So I do some sort of you know, caching the output and then reading that back in to be the baseline that it's testing again. So I can check everything's still working the same. Is it still filtering the same? Does this um, you know, pipeline of lots of things linked together still give me the same type of outputs as it did the first time I built it? I think that's probably the direction I'll, I'll, I'll go for testing something that's quite visual. Uh, but at this stage, like if I did that, I would be spending all of my time writing tests because I'm also changing stuff every other minute as well. Yeah. You know, going, oh, maybe not like that, but over is there. The, is um, the balance between move fast and break things and 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 be testable and whatever? But I think yes. you're on the right side of the of the balance. I think 
writing tests, like the TDD fans will probably disagree, but like the writing, but writing tests for me is a good time is when, before you go on a big refactor or mm-hmm. uh, when something breaks and you need to find the bug anyway, then you can like try to find out. And, like, but yeah. it's a good tool to have, but my personal philosophy is like, I need to feel some kind of pressure um, mm-hmm. to write the, to write the tests. Otherwise, like, I think they're a bit of a useless exercise. And yeah, people will disagree, but that's just my personal philosophy here. I feel the same. Certainly when you're trying to just get something started up and, and get something operational, like you, if you've got a, and this is always the argument that I'll come back to, is that if you've got a defined scope, a defined set of acceptance criteria, it's not likely to change very drastically anytime soon, then you know, fill your boots, wrap all the tests around it um, as best as you can. You've got everything you need to know. Boom, you can even do TDD to begin with because all of that is down. Uh, If you're in a very fluid, rapid, changeable environment where I don't know what this thing looks like when it's finished, right? I'm still just noodling and building. To me, tests will run counterproductive to, to my flow. Now, you know, TDD advocate will turn around and say, ah, but, you know, if you were to be able to build your test first, you won't do so much noodling because you'll actually be clear about getting your your situation first. Uh, but that's not actually the way I say that, work. but, yeah. yeah, the way I, like, the way, I think we the way we both work, I've never, like, worked with you on, on software, really, like, but I think mm-hmm. we're very similar in that we kind of um, sketch using code. Yeah. And kind of have like lots of iterations and like tests hurt that process, I think. Yeah, they do. So, um, so for me, it's more like a, uh, have like a, a a push with lots of iterations and then something can go out. And then that's the time, the time to, to write tests. Once, once a certain like area of the application is kind of, kind of stable, then, then tests. And also like start from the bottom, start with the most basic, but still um um breakable breakable things like with my like query stuff and then yeah and then go like work your way up, work your way up to the and like test the ui at the very latest like yes. ui tests oh god <laughs> I don't, yeah i mean we could go around and around on on this topic i think me and you are both pretty much in alignment i i, I totally get I totally respect and understand the sort of TDD uh, philosophy. I just think that for me, the environments where that really shines and really works are a subset of the broader environments that I've ever worked in. Mm. And then for how I work personally, like you say, it runs counterproductive to that sketching sort of mentality. Um, who knows? You know, like, I mean, there's this. There's, other ways of approaching this in the future potentially where you know automation co-pilot those things perhaps makes that a little easier in some ways i think my flow would still be the same but i might have more tests wrapped around if i could just sort of go hey this is the state of it right now write me all the tests that you think are relevant here right and walk away and yeah it does it does work surprisingly Um, well in the javascript environment like i have the I don't. I don't know. I think it's still in beta, like Copilot two, in my Visual Studio Code, and you can actually select a 
like a group of functions and be like, hey, just test the status quo for that. And of course, yep. you will still have to read through that. Um, and of course, you will have to need to correct it. But if, for me, for me, it feels uh, like an improvement. Dave um, is, is writing in our show notes document, pissing off the TDD advocates. <laughs> and I also <laughs> just pissed off the the people who don't don't like co-pilot for understandable reasons. Yeah, I was just thinking, actually, I'm kind of almost one of those people, but uh, if I could get a local version running, I'll be, be happy. Oh, that would be That's great. Good. I think, I think yeah. someone someone had, like, not GitHub, of course, but, like, someone had actually a a version of that running. So, like, an open mm -hmm. source uh, model that kind of replicated the Copilot functionality. So, it's still, it's still too, much, too much computing power to, like, really yep. run it locally properly, but, like, I mean, computing power is something that probably will increase yeah that's a, i i i'm very sorry daniel but i need to to finish up here on this call because my day is about to right go from naught to something else um <laughs> but uh <laughs> i'm not going to say naught to 60 i'm on holiday but i've still got things i've got to get sorted also um, i mean like 60 kilometers an hour is not that much uh 60 kilometers per hour that's about that's about 12 parsecs um <laughs> Yeah, no. To play. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna launch some more rockets. I think. Yeah. Um, this has been like so much fun. It's been like uh, one of the nerdier episodes, I think. But, but still, people, listeners, yeah. um, thank you so much for listening. Rate us on iTunes, please, because that's really cool. Um, mm -hmm. If you have com comments or questions, send us uh, send us emails at contact at waitingforreview.com. Uh, or write us on the interwebs. Um, Dave, where can people find you and write messages to you? You can find me on Mastodon at social.lightbeamapps.com uh, slash at Dave. And uh, you can find out about my apps on lightbeamapps.com as well and as we said earlier on by the time this goes out you should be able to take a look at that landing page which will be lightbeamaps.com slash gobjpro fantastic yourself, Daniel? Um, yeah find me at daniel at social.telemetrydeck.com uh, on mastodon uh, telemetrydeck.com of course uh, more about telemetry deck also I have created a um, threads account uh, for telemetry deck it's called telemetry underscore deck and because Lisa doesn't have access to that account I'm posting lots of shenanigans there uh, and <laughs> not not a lot of like um, corporate PR right now but it's still like um, I feel like my main home is still Mastodon um, yeah, yeah have a great day uh, see you soon Dave Catch you later, Daniel. Bye.